0: So, I, I recently uh, had the experience, I'm sure y'all can relate, of where I, I realized a song that I had known for a long time. I had misunderstood one of the lyrics, and it said something other than what I thought it said. Is that, does that ever happen to a y'all? So, for, for me, most recently, the song in question was from Disney's Mulan. I've been singing this song for some 25 years, which makes me feel old. And uh, it comes during a part of the movie where it's like the inspirational training montage. And the, the, the lyrics in question are, um, are this, I'm never gonna catch my breath. Say goodbye to those who knew me. Boy, was I a fool in school for cutting gym. And for the past 25 years, I had thought, Well, It's a fun song, but that doesn't make much sense. Why, in the midst of his feeling exhausted in training, is he regretting having skipped his friend Jim in line at at school? It it, it just didn't make sense. And only recently did I realize, oh, he's lamenting the fact he didn't participate in PE class, because if he had, he'd be in better shape for this training. But the point is, I had sung this song hundreds of times over the past 25 years, and I'd never realized I had been missing part of what it was all about. Not only had I sung this, I'd led other people in this song too. At the summer camp that I worked at, as we cleaned our tables after each meal, we all sang I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. And so I had like, been leading this for other students, and I didn't know what part of it meant. And I, I think there's a connection to that for us today because all of our four passages all concentrate on this one idea that's at the heart of what the gospel is. And we might think, man, I, I've been in church for years, I know the words of the gospel, I know the message, I'm good. But I think just like I had a bit of that song wrong, even if we can repeat the words of the gospel, we can say what Jesus is all about, it's easy for us to have in parts of our hearts not really grasped what it means. And so if if that's us today, then the invitation is to stop and listen and see if we can hear afresh the goodness and the beauty of the gospel in maybe a way that we haven't caught before but maybe you're, you're more an outsider on all this church stuff, and you, perhaps you're like familiar with the song, you've heard it a time or two, but you don't know the words, you don't know what it's about, you're trying to make out what the, the lyrics say. If that's you as well, then, then, then this is an invitation to hear clearly what the gospel says. And, and it's this, that Christianity is not about what we do to become right before God. It's about what God has done to make us right. Christianity is not about what we do as much as it's what God has done. And that's what we see time and time again in all four of our passages. And so that's what we're going to look at today through the lens of our uh, gospel reading in Matthew. Now that we're in ordinary time, as James had said, our gospel passages are going to be slowly working through the book of Matthew for for the next few months. And so it'll be helpful to know kind of the big picture of the structure of what Matthew is about, how it's organized. It starts in the very beginning with an introduction of sorts that includes the genealogy, that includes the birth story of Jesus to, to set the stage. And then after that, there are a series of five blocks, and each one ends with a discourse or a sermon that Jesus makes. And all the, the even the, the narrative parts of that section kind of all coalesce around one theme. And so chapters 4 through 7 are all about Jesus announcing the kingdom and saying what this idea of the kingdom of God is. And it culminates in the Sermon on the Mount— which all of us have heard parts of even if we don't know it where Jesus talks about what life in this kingdom is life is like and what it looks like for, for those people who walk in his ways and if you're not familiar with the word the kingdom of god it's this idea of how god through the person of jesus has come to set things right And so that's the first bit. And this passage in chapters 8 through 10, it comes in the second bit. And if the the first block is about what is the kingdom, the second block is about how does God help people enter into the kingdom? So Jesus talks about here's what the kingdom is, here's what it's like. The natural question is, Well, how do I live like that? If if I think that sounds good, how do I make that my life? And these next three chapters are all about how Jesus invites us and brings us into his kingdom, how his kingdom comes into our life. And in the the narratival bits of these three chapters, there are are three sets of three miraculous encounters that Jesus has with people, where that demonstrate his kingdom power coming into the, the lives of the individuals who uh, are changed by him. And in between those uh, three sets of threes, there are two times where Jesus uh, interacts with people and he says, follow me, where he invites us into this life-changing uh, uh, power. It invites us into this life-changing relationship of Jesus where we get caught up in the kingdom of God. And that's what we find in this passage. It's one of those in-between parts where Jesus is inviting people into the kingdom to follow him. And so that is what we're looking at. And as we see in this passage, we see a call for sinners and a challenge to the righteous as it relates to how we enter into the kingdom of God, or to put it, better how, how Jesus h- helps the kingdom of God to come into our lives. And so the first question that we get to look at is a call for sinners. And we see that in the first couple v- verses of our gospel passage. And I think we can better understand this call if we have some historical context. So in this passage, there are two things that are Remarkable. One is the context of a tax collector, and the other is that of a rabbi. So in Israel at this time, uh, they've been under the thumb of foreign powers for centuries. From about 1000 to 600 BC, for some 400 years, they were their own powerful kingdom and then they got conquered by other kingdoms, and they all the while had been longing to be their own nation once again. But the foreign kingdom that was over them right now is Rome. And like any kingdom, they have to collect taxes, and so they have tax collectors to do that. And so if you were a Jewish tax collector, it was like you were a traitor. You were uh, an agent of this foreign tyranny that was oppressing your people. How could you? And the Romans knew this was an undesirable circumstance, and so oftentimes they would let the tax collectors collect a bit extra on top of the tax to keep for themselves. So suffice it to say, if you were a tax collector, you were not thought of too highly in that day. And so that's a tax collector, but what about a a, a rabbi? So Rabbis were teachers of of Jewish law, and there are interesting contrasts there, but the two things that are relevant to this passage is one, that if you wanted to become a student of a rabbi, you had to go seek the rabbi out. It was on you. Just like if you apply to colleges today, for the most part, UF doesn't come to you and says, please come here. Maybe if you're a star football player or athlete or something like that. But for the most part, it's, uh, you have to go say, please let me in. And the second part is that the rabbis would only accept the best of the best, the most elite people. And so that's how that worked. And so that's why when we have that context in mind, this passage makes a lot more sense when it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw Matthew sitting at a tax booth and he says, hey, once you get your act together, once you stop being a tax collector, once you pay everyone back, once you renounce your allegiance to to Rome, then I'll think about letting you follow me. Right? Is that not what we just read? No, it's not. But that, for most of us, is what we think Jesus says to us. We think he's saying, once you get your life in order, then you'll be good enough. Once you stop doing all those bad things, then maybe I'll think about letting you into my circle. But that's the opposite of what we see here, that Jesus calls us in the midst of our mess. Jesus calls us in the midst of of our mess. And that's very unnatural for us because it's the opposite of everything else in life. In everything else in life, it's once you perform well enough, then you will be accepted. But that's the opposite of what Jesus says. He says, I'm calling you even when I know you are nowhere near good enough. I'm calling you before you have your act to together. As Jesus says at the end of this passage, he has come to call not the righteous, but to call sinners. And this sounds beautiful, but if we're honest it's kind of hard. One like I said because it cuts against like everything that we're used to. Like when when I was working for a consulting firm in DC and I was talking to uh like them about, "Hey, what do I need to do to get a raise?" They're like, "Hey, we'll give you a raise once you start performing uh like they they said you have to start to earn your raise before we give you that money. The 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 acceptance, the accolades, it follows the the, the the performance. And that's true in every facet of our lives. But this is different. And so it's hard because it's countercultural, but it's hard also because we want to have something to bring to the table. It's hard for us to just say thank you. We want to be able to make, to have something to offer. And, and so we, we uh, see this um, when, with Adam and Eve, like back in the garden. So they know, like the tax collectors here, they, they know that they've messed up. And one of their first responses is to try to cover themselves up themselves. If they're going to be in God's presence, they have to be covered up. They go searching for a fig leaf to cover over their own shame and do it on their own terms. We want to be able to earn our way back into God's good graces to say, hey God, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to do better next time. I, I promise I'm worthy of your love. And so sometimes we, we try to make our own fig leaves to, to cover up the own mistakes that, that we've made. So, so we'll think we're acceptable enough. And sometimes we do this not even with religious stuff, but with things of, of this world. But the, the truth is that it doesn't matter how big enough your bank account is. It, it doesn't matter how impressive your job is. Title is, it doesn't matter how many followers you have on social media, all the fig leaves that we reach for are never going to be enough to cover up that inadequacy, that shame, that guilt that we might feel. And so it's hard because we have to accept the fact that we need help. And so this message, this beautiful message to tax collectors and sinners is beautiful but it's it's challenging and hard. And so we can see the areas in our life where perhaps we have a hard time believing this part of the gospel. Uh, we can see that we have a hard time knowing this in our life when we are responding to situations where we feel dirty or if we feel sinful and we respond by trying to perform our way back into God's good graces. We say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to go take all these steps to, to make sure I'm going to get my life in order. And if that is one, one of our first responses, then that betrays this sense, this belief that we have that we have to make our own selves good enough. Or a, a different response that we might have that might betray the fact that we have the words wrong, that we're mishearing the lyrics of the gospel, is if we find ourselves in shame and guilt and and sin, and our response is to not to go towards God and trying to to bargain with him, but to run away from God in the first place. Because we think, when I feel like this, God would want nothing to do with me. But that also betrays this sense that for us to be in God's presence, we have to be good enough by our own me- merit. And so also this response to run away from God be- betrays that there are parts of our heart that have a hard time believing what the gospel says. And so that's the, the beauty of the gospel in Jesus' call to sinners and how we can see some ways if we actually get the words wrong a bit in our lives as, as well. So that's the call for sinners. He also has a challenge for the righteous. And just some brief historical context here as well. We see the, the, the Pharisees, and it seems that in verse 10, Jesus has called not just Matthew, but lots of other tax collectors and sinners who are enjoying his presence, who are on the inner ring with Jesus, who are, are coming to his table. It's a picture of church where everyone there are sinners and tax collectors. Those are the people who c- couldn't perhaps define for you what sin is in theological terms or anything like that, but they don't have to because they know that whatever that is, it's true of them. These are the people that Jesus is gathering to himself, and then the the Pharisees, they're the ones who are on the outside. You'd expect them to be the ones on the inside, and you can almost hear the disdain in their voices when they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would that be their response? So the, the Pharisees were a group of Jewish religious leaders at the time, and as I mentioned earlier, Uh, the Jewish people had their own kingdom for about 400 years. And then after that, they went into exile. They were conquered by foreign kingdoms. And the Old Testament tells us that from a divine perspective, from a cosmic perspective, from a worldly perspective, the reason why that happened is because Israel as a power grew weak and Assyria and Babylon as a power grew strong. But from a cosmic perspective... The Old Testament tells us the reason why God had that happen, why he let that happen, was because the the Jewish people had been unfaithful. They had sought after other gods. They had become idolatrous, and they had become incredibly unjust. They had become a society that was exploiting the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized. If you read any of the prophets, those are the two themes that resonate all throughout. So because of this lack of faithfulness that they had, God humbled them to try and get their attention. He brought them low. He discipline them so that they might come back to God. And the Pharisees were people who said, hey, look, the reason why we lost our kingdom was because we were not faithful to the commands and to the law of God. So what we're going to do is to make sure that that never happens again, and to hopefully have the Messiah come to get our kingdom back, we're going to do a really good job of keeping all the laws. And we're going to make sure that other people do it too, and we're going to make laws around the laws so no one will ever come close to breaking anything. And that, in essence, is what the Pharisees were about. And so when he sees Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, they're like, wait, these people are the people that are messing everything up. They're the reason why we lost our kingdom. Why are you fellowshipping with them? They have this sense of indignation, of righteous indignation. Jesus calls us in the midst of our own mess, but these Pharisees didn't have ears to hear Jesus' call because they couldn't see their own mess that they were standing in. Um, What is the mess that that they were standing in? I think a helpful way of of looking at it is, just if you think about it from a righteousness-type scale, is if you imagine a graph, and you might think, On the y-axis, it goes up to like 20. And you're thinking like, oh, I have 16 righteousness points. My bar goes up pretty high. Susie over there has four righteousness points. I'm four times higher than her. I'm almost at the top. I'm feeling really good about myself. I'm sure you all never do this. And if you do, I'm sure you don't use the language righteousness points. Um you probably use righteousness units. That's, that, that's probably what you use. Um, and if, if, the, if the y-axis goes up to 20, you're looking pretty good. You're four times greater than, than Susie, it's a big deal. But if the y-axis goes up to 20,000, you and Susie, you, you, you might have four times more points than Susie. But when we look at the graph, y'all are in the same exact spot. You're nothing compared to where the top of the graph is. And so what the Pharisees got caught up doing is they were looking at the wrong thing. It's, it's like if, if you have an athlete. So I, I, was, I was in a big high school, so uh, it was hard to make sports teams. I might not have made them if it were a smaller high school, but that's just my defense. Um, so I was in P.E. and I did not cut P.E. I actually went. I wasn't like the guy in the song. Um, but I was always one of the most athletic kids in P.E. And so if I looked at all the other kids in P.E., I might be like, man, I, I'm a pretty good athlete. But if I'm looking at like the, my peers who are starting on the basketball and soccer and football teams and stuff like that, I'd be embarrassed because like, I'm nowhere near as good as they are. And so it's easy for us to look down on other people if we're using other people as the standard of righteousness that we should aspire to. And so that's one of the reasons why the Pharisees couldn't see their own mess. But There's actually a deeper reason there as well. And we see that in Psalm 50. So in Psalm 50, it talks about how God is coming to judge his, his people. And one of the main things he's judging his people for is empty religiosity. They're going through all the religious motions, but their hearts are far from God. And so it would have been easy for them to say, God, like, why are you judging us? We're doing all the right stuff. We should get the good stuff. We're doing the right things. God, you owe me something. And so the, the the bigger danger that the Pharisees are in is not just that they're looking at the wrong thing, but they're thinking that God owes them something. Their, their righteous acts are because they want something from God. They're not doing it, as Hosea says, uh, for mercy. That, that, that word mercy in the Hebrew is the word for mercy covenant faithfulness is for steadfast love. They're not doing it out of steadfast love, out of a heart for God. They're doing it because they want God as a means to some other end. And that's why in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how people who do their religious deeds in in public for the approval of others have received their reward in full. Being the approval of others who think, man, you're so spiritual. It's why in Matthew 21, I, I, I think it is, when he has woes, he criticizes the, the, the Pharisees for how a lot of the stuff that they do is not out of a heart for God, but it's about how they're trying to use the religiosity for their own ends. And so what we see in, in, in the Pharisees is, is not just the fact that they're looking to the wrong things in terms of the standard of righteousness, but, 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 but they're looking to at the wrong things, they're desiring the wrong things in terms of why they're being righteous in the first place. Um, and so it's hard for these people also because for, for them to accept the call of Jesus, it means that they have to lose the image of themselves as being someone who has everything put it all together. They have to let go of this external self that they've cultivated so carefully it also means that they have to lose the sense of control they have over God they have to lose the sense of God owes them something because if the gospel is truly about how we give nothing to God how he calls us freely out of his grace then there's not like a contract where it's like hey God I've kept up my end of the bargain now you're obligated to do your end of the bargain If God freely calls us to himself, then all bets are off. And so it means that we cannot put anything out of God's reach. God is going to be the one who is in control. And so here are some ways in which we can see if we struggle to believe the words of the gospel, if we are mishearing the lyrics of the gospel in our own hearts, in, in these ways, we can see it if we think that our status with God or just our worth in life comes from our performance. If we think we're doing really good with God only if we're doing good stuff or only if we're performing well, if our how we measure, will, our relationship with God is just about all the right stuff that we do, then we're perhaps losing some of the heart about how it's not just what we do, but about what we want and how we want to be with God. If if we see other people who are struggling and we have a sense of superiority because we think, I don't have a hard time with that. Or if we see folks struggling and we want to help them because we think, oh man, like, I have my life all put together. These people, wow, they're a sorry case. Then then that's a sign that, that we're having a hard time uh, internalizing the gospel in in this sense, and a a different way perhaps of looking at it is we see other people who are struggling and we identify with them. We see, man, I see how I struggle in these same ways. Or, and we go to help, like not because we know that we're great and we're all put together and we have all the answers, but we know like, gosh, I know when, when I was like that or I struggle with a similar motive. Here are things that God did to help me and I want them to have that same help that I know that I desperately needed. And a a different way in which we we can tell that we're starting to to get the words right in our own hearts are, are, are if we see the fact that even when we do good things, sometimes we do good things for the wrong reasons. If we're starting to see that and we're thinking, thank God for mixed motives, thank God that I wanted to do the right thing for the right reason some of the time, then that's a sign that we're starting to understand the the lyrics of the gospel. And so the, 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 the gospel that it's, it's not about what we do, but it's about what God does. It's a call for sinners, and it's a challenge for the the righteous. And what we do does matter. Matthew doesn't stay in the tax booth. He ends up leaving the tax booth, but that's only in response to the initiative that Jesus starts. And so I, I don't want you, you to hear that. It doesn't matter what we do at all. We can go just do what, whatever we want. But it's what we do isn't what gets us in God's good graces. And so... How, if, if, if we're like, if we're thinking, man, I, I can relate to the sinners in this passage, if we think, man, I can relate to the righteousness, to the righteous folks in this, this passage, what can we do? Um, I forgot to, to say this earlier, but w- w- when I worked in DC for, for three years, I had a co worker who um, w- was an army officer who served in Afghanistan. And I remember a conversation I had with him. He said, God could never. Take someone like me, not after the stuff that I've done. Um, there, are, in my experience, there are some veterans who love to talk about everything, all of their, their their war stories, and there are some who never talk about anything. And Tyler was of the second category. I just said his name. I didn't mean to say his name. Um, I think I said something like, kind of Christian and gracious in the moment, but. <laughs> I sometimes think about him and wish I could go back and say, no, you are exactly the kind of person that God wants to call. You are exactly the kind of person that Jesus is after because he comes to call the people who know their lives are a mess. And so what do we do? If, if, if we're in the, the, the righteous camp, perhaps... These are people that don't know the mess that they're in. Um, have you ever been someplace where you thought it was fine? Perhaps it was your house or some other place, then someone walks in and they're like, "Oh my gosh, it stinks in here," and you're like, "I had no idea." Um, or, or perhaps like if you go camping, in the beginning, like you can smell the, the the smell of the campfire smoke. You can feel the dirt under your fingernails, but after a bit you forget about it. It just becomes normal. And the thing that helps you see your mess is when you are around clean things once again. I will completely forget that I smell like campfire until I come back home and take a shower. And as I'm washing my hair, I'm like, oh my gosh, my hair does smell like smoke. And and so if, if we are stuck in this pharisaic cycle one thing that we can do is to surround ourselves with true righteousness and by that we can look at jesus and see how his standard is actually at twenty thousand. it's not at 20. it's it's and so as we see him and we see his grace we come to realize i need help and as we do i hope we see the beauty of it so In in Hosea, in the second half of it, he talks about how God's people are doing all the wrong things. The, The first half of it is how they want to return to God and how they're going to be accepted by God, not because of what they do, but because of God's grace. And the second half of the passage that we read is how God says, I don't know what to do with these people. Their hearts are so fickle. They can't get it right. And so he says, I will hew them, I will cut them down, I will judge them in order that their hearts might come back to me. And that's what he did when he sent the Jewish people into exile. But in in Jesus we have the opposite, where where in, in, in Jesus we have God saying, I want their hearts to be mine. I want them to seek me not just with their external actions, but I want them to want me to have the right motives to, 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 to know how they need my help. And so what he does is, is the opposite. Is, is He has Jesus who is perfectly righteous but is cut down just like the Jewish kingdoms were he's cut down in our place that we might see him and we might see his righteousness, his true righteousness and we might see the depths of our sin that our hearts might be melted and our hearts might be transformed so that we can let go of our desire to control our own image so so we can accept how we need help and we can follow him and this is the gospel of how Jesus calls us to himself not based upon what we do but based upon what he has done. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, I I thank you so much that that you have come to call sinners and and not the righteous. And um, Though that's such a basic idea, it's so easy to lose track of um, in our hearts. And so, Lord, I ask that you would help us to see if, if we're more in the, the pharisaic camp, God, open our eyes to help us see our mess as you see it, um, that we might see how much we need you and that we might see the depth of your love f- for us. And Lord, if, if, we, are, if we know that, that we're sinful and if we know that we need help, Lord, h- help us to just say thank you. Lord, to not try to come to you on our own terms, um, but, but to accept your grace free and clear. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen.